So, good to be here with you guys this morning. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Working our way through the Gospel of Mark. If you're new to the church and we haven't met you yet, love to meet you. Sometimes people come and sit for a while and we don't get a chance to, I don't get a chance to say hello, so... If you're new to the church, I'd love to shake your hand and, and get to know you. Also, guys, really want to encourage you, if you have any prayer requests, uh, please fill out a card and, uh, and put it in the box. We also haven't mentioned it for a while, but we have our own version here behind me of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. And what the Jewish people do there is they put prayer requests to God and stick it between the stones. And so some of your names are up there. And uh, I've, I've got some prayer requests up there that have been answered already, and I'm just leaving them up there, you know. And um, so it's just kind of another way. I just, I just thought it was, it's just kind of a, a way to come back into the room and remember, oh, yeah, I'm praying for this. And so just kind of a, a physical reminder of a spiritual desire. So um, anyway, put them in the offering box, put them on the wall. God knows. But let us pray for you. We won't be meeting tomorrow because of Memorial Day, but every Monday. Uh, Jim Haug also. Jim, are you here? Can you raise your hand? Just stand up and say hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, <laughs> you may be seated, Jim. <laughs> Looked like he was going to start giving a speech. Um, Jim and I attended a prayer meeting 25 years ago together on Tuesday nights, and he's started up another men's prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. And so, guys, if you're free Tuesday night, 7 to 8 o'clock, Okay, so guys, I encourage you to pray, you know. Uh, things change when we pray, amen? So let's be praying, so you're invited. Mark chapter 8 is where we are at. A very similar miracle from what we saw, uh, in, I believe, in Mark chapter 6. Different miracle, but a very similar miracle, and yet so much to learn and gain. So let me read these verses. Uh, verses 1 to 9, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, and then we'll have a word of prayer, then we'll dive in. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the multitudes, multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples and set them before them. And they set them before the multitude. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. Let's pray. Father, thank you. What a great God you are, Lord. What a compassionate Savior you are, Jesus. What a powerful Savior you are. Powerful to meet our needs, powerful to save. Heart full of love, God. Thank you. Um, May we just have a wonderful view of you this morning as we look at your word, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Message of this, uh, the title of this message is Meeting Needs and Training Disciples. And, and in this passage, there's two things that I see. I'm sure there's lots of ways always to kind of approach a passage. And so um, I don't feel any pressure as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher to, to get every single thing mined out of a passage. Um, I kind of pray, what is God, what do you have for us today? And so uh, there may be some things that, that don't get um, looked at, but um, there's plenty of meat here for us to chew on. 
Jesus is meeting needs of a, of a multitude. He's meeting physical needs. He's doing it because of his great compassion for the people. And as he's doing it, he's also training his disciples, those followers of his who will carry on the work after he's gone. So first of all, let's look at the notes here. Number one, the first thing we notice is Jesus is meeting people's needs. And it says here in verse one, uh, or verse two, excuse me, I have compassion on the multitude. His heart was full of love for the people. When I'm studying, I get to read the thoughts of a lot of different pastors and teachers and commentators and Bible scholars and that. And a lot of them made mention of the fact that sometimes leaders, unfortunately, church leaders, can be very concerned about the people being in the pews or being in the building or being part of the movement. But once the meeting is over, they kind of forget about them, you know. But Jesus wasn't that way. He was very concerned not only about their presence and about teaching them and taking care of them, but also are they going to be able to get home okay? So apparently they hadn't anticipated staying three days with him. Um, we, Pastor Rob taught about how the, uh, Jesus healed a man that was deaf and dumb, and the crowd was really moved. Previously in that region, the people had asked Jesus to leave, but apparently after Jesus had cast many demons out of a man, that man had gone back to this region, told all the people about Jesus. Now when Jesus returns to the region, he has a huge crowd. So the people are out there bringing the sick, bringing the lame, bringing those who are demon-possessed, blind, deaf, whatever the case is, and they're with him three days. And they, and they may not have planned that, but Jesus really cares about them. He has great compassion on them. Old King James uses phrases like uh, bowels of mercy. And in the 1600s, they would, they would describe you know, that kind of emotion you know, like when you're nervous, you get butterflies in your, not in your heart, in your stomach, you know? There's just something about this gut region where you just kind of feel things. And so they would, they would express compassion as bowels of mercy. Modern day translator says, you know, we would say we love somebody with our whole heart. In, those, in the old, earlier days, they would say, with great bowels of mercy, he loved that person. Point being is this, however you say it, Jesus loved these people. He had great compassion. He was motivated by compassion. Some things that I thought about Jesus in dealing with multitudes. One thing, he taught the multitudes because he considered them as sheep without a shepherd. One of the ways that Jesus loved people was that he taught them. Look at your notes there. We saw this back in Mark chapter 6. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion. There's the word again. And in compassion... He responded to them by teaching. He saw them like sheep not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. So one of the ways that Jesus loved people then and loves people now is that he makes sure and and seeks to make sure that truth gets to them. It's not enough to just load somebody up with physical blessings. They had physical needs, and Jesus is going to meet physical needs. But guys, as, as you are about the business of loving people, and as God is about the business of loving us, he doesn't want to just load up our physical needs and physical blessings. He wants to bring truth to us. And that's part of the way that God loves us, and that's part of the way that he wants us to love others. Yes, meet physical needs, but also bring truth. And it says very clearly here, so he began to teach them many things. There are some people within Christendom that put a priority on meeting people's physical needs. Some church movements, some parachurch organizations, they're all about meeting people's physical needs, and and we should. As as Christians, we should be concerned with people's physical needs, try to meet those needs as much as we are able. 
and when it's appropriate. Sometimes it's better to let somebody perhaps go without so that they'll feel kind of the pressure of their poor choices and bad behavior, that kind of thing. But this is a real basic thing. These people were hungry. They were there for a really good reason. But there are some, some within Christendom that think, well, we don't want to preach at them. We don't want to get too heavy. We don't want to get, you know, shove religion down their throat. And they just see any kind of preaching or sharing of the gospel as a negative thing. So we're just, our, their only intention is to just meet physical needs. Now, it's great to meet physical needs, but I would say it's an error to have that as your only intention. Every, every situation is different, and we have to kind of go with the Holy Spirit flow of the moment. There are times when you want to speak to somebody, but it's not the right time to speak to them. It's just better to meet their physical need, and so meet that physical need. But I would hope within every Christ follower's heart there's also the hope and the prayer, Lord, I'm going to meet their physical need, but if, you, if I sense that this is a great opportunity, Lord, I'm going to speak to them about you. So Jesus did both things. He met physical needs. Look at your notes. <clears throat> Jesus didn't neglect meet, meeting people's physical needs, but he placed great importance upon teaching the truths of God. Those things can and should be mutually inclusive. I think we are in error if we are just meeting physical needs with no intention of, of preaching the truth about Jesus Christ. I think we are in error if we think our only responsibility is to just preach at people and let them suffer physically when we have the means to help them. I think we are in error if we go to either extreme, and I think there are church movements and groups of Christians that the pendulum swings really far one way or the other, and I think we don't want to swing one way or the other in regards to that. We want to do both things. They should be mutually inclusive. When we look upon people as Jesus did and are seeing them through the, excuse me, when we look upon people as Jesus did, then we are seeing them through the eyes of Christ. Guys, I hope, you know, when you, when you are about your business, about town, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you're looking at people, maybe you see that they have a physical need, you know, maybe uh, you're noticing a mom with, with an older van and one of the tires is ready to kind of blow out and you can tell and you can see the, the tread showing through or the, you know, the, the wiring or whatever. And you're thinking, man, I really, wow, I'm, I, we have the, I can go buy, follow me to America's Tire. We're going to go buy you a new tire. You have the means, the ability to do that. You pay for it. You say, God bless you. You drive away and they take care of the need that is met. But I think you should just also be thinking, and Lord, I really, you know, you lead me about if I should be talking to that person as well. Both things. When we are looking at people and, and feeling that way about them, we're doing it like Jesus does. May I say this? Strong statement with a smile. I hope the media teams can superimpose a twinkle on my teeth. <laughs> if you're not looking at people both with the temporal needs and eternal needs, you're in error. You're wrong. You're falling short. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus looked at people with, they, he looked after their temporal needs, he looked after their eternal needs. He didn't heal everybody and feed everybody, but it was always in his mind both things. And guys, if you're missing one or the other, you're missing out, you're falling short, you're missing the mark. So we want to be like Christ, amen? We want to be like Jesus. So, so Jesus was motivated by great compassion 
He healed them and cast demons out of them. Look at your notes, Mark 134. He healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So those needs still exist around us. There are sick people who need healing. There are also sick people, guys, who just simply need help. And as you are able to help them, help them. But I hope at least, you know, if you see somebody who's sick and has a physical need and you have a sense, I'm unable to help that person, I don't have time or the ability or it doesn't seem right, but my heart is sure there. The heart needs to be there. Don't just, you know, and maybe even you kind of just nod your head and say hello and maybe you just say something like, I'll pray for you, but you walk away and you're carrying that burden at least because you're feeling it. We, we can't go solve every problem, but we can care about problems and the challenges that people have. So Jesus loved the people. What do we have so far? By teaching them, by healing them, and then he fed them. He did it miraculously. This might be considered by some people the least spiritual thing to do, but it was needed. They were hungry. They had been with him for three days. They were without food. There are many that still around, there are many around us still that lack physical, the physical needs for healthy living. There's people around you, even sometimes in this church, that are lacking things. Are, are your eyes, I'm just kind of reasoning with you, pleading with you, begging with you, if begging needs to be done. Are your eyes open to, to, to other things other than your own life? None of us would say Jesus was self-focused, would we? But some of us are, at times at least. So let's just shake that off, shall we? Amen? Oh, that was... We're going to line you up and start swatting you guys. Let's shake that off, shall we? There we go, okay. We'll get these little mics on upstairs and make you sound really good on YouTube, okay? Um, You know, we want to shake off being self-focused people. And Jesus was never self-focused. He took care of eternal needs. He took care of temporal needs. Now, I wrote something here, which I think was just came out of heaven. Some church movements focus on one thing to the exclusion of other things. Some Christians do that. We don't want to do that. Jesus readily met physical needs and spiritual needs. Now, check this out. He saw temporal needs as temporarily important. Temporal needs are very much, but very temporarily important. Eternal needs are eternally important. You can slice and dice and parse that out, can't you? Temporary needs are temporarily important, and they are important, but eternal needs are internally important. So I would just hope that all of us, who are Christ followers, would have a view towards helping people temporarily, eternally, knowing one has longer-lasting, eternal uh, ramifications, but not neglecting the temporary. Very, very important. So Jesus here, the first thing he was doing was meeting people's needs. Secondly, in doing so, he was training his disciples. Look at your notes. Disciple is a learner, a pupil, a, a disciple, a follower. These men had considered, committed themselves to following Jesus. They are going to carry on the work after Jesus is, is uh, crucified, raised from the dead, and after he ascends to heaven. They will carry on the work. So as he's meeting needs here, he's also training them. They are in kind of the... Uh, an everyday school of learning about the kingdom of God, understanding the kingdom of God, understanding the ways of Jesus, and then getting to do hands-on. It's kind of like taking that chemistry class where you learn about the stuff and then you go to the lab and start blowing things up, you know, 
or you, you're learning about biology in the book and then you go to the lab and you're dissecting the frog. Je- they would learn about the kingdom of God. Jesus, then Jesus would say, okay, now you guys go do it. And I think that's how he still trains all of his followers, all of you. The Lord wants to teach you things and we study the Bible here so we can learn about things in our head but the time is going to come maybe even this week where God says, okay, now take what you learned on Sunday and I want you to go do it. Get your hands dirty. Get involved with this thing. And this is the way that the disciples were learning. Look here in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, a little bit further, which Pastor Rob will get to or I'll get to in a few weeks. And when he had called the people to him with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 35, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. A lot of good stuff as you go on. Point being this, if you're a follower of Christ, there's going to be a time when you have to lose your life and pay attention to other people. Guys, we are saved by the, by, the, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and by faith in that and by the grace of God we are saved, but sometimes our lives just don't look like it because we're so doggone self-focused. And it's inconsistent and it's wrong. And God wants to shake us out of that sometimes. I would say he wants to shake us out of it all the time whenever, whenever it's needed. And so Jesus was all about, because he loved people, and then sometimes, I mean, Jesus is just, he sets the bar so high, doesn't he? Where's my handkerchief? I'm working up a sweat up here. Watch out. He sets the bar so high. You know, sometimes we may serve people because we think we should. Well, that's better than nothing, but it's not the highest calling. Jesus was absolutely radically moved by love and compassion. His heart was broken for these people. It's just something for us to pray for, isn't it? If, that, if that's not existing... He didn't see them as a nuisance. He didn't see them just as a responsibility. He saw them as people that he loved. So he's training these people. He wants to train us. They needed to learn every aspect of what it meant to serve God. They also needed one other thing that that it's easy to skip over. They're in a place called the Decapolis, and the Decapolis is Gentile country. And the Jews call the Gentiles dogs. So Jesus is not only teaching people He's modeling compassion and love in front of his disciples. He's explaining to his followers, I really care for these people, and then he's going to feed them. But something else he's doing, he's saying, and I don't care what ethnicity they are. And I don't care what race they are. This whole race problem thing in the United States, if everybody got saved, we wouldn't have a race problem. Jesus was never racist. He was never bigoted. He was never against one ethnicity over another. So he's modeling to his disciples and, and some commentators are saying he's prefiguring what's actually going to happen through the disciples as the gospel goes out to the world. So he's showing his disciples how to love those despised Gentile dogs and Jesus is doing it without discrimination. He sets the bar high for us. It's a good, it's a good standard. Amen? Amen? All right. So Jesus is doing two things. Two things are happening. He's meeting people's needs and he's training his disciples. Both things are happening at the same time. Now let's look at the feeding of the 4,000. Look at verse 1. In those days the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the multitude. They have been with me three days. I have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. And then he stops. And I imagine the disciples were going, yeah, 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 yeah. So what do you want to do? He's just kind of, 
standing there. I think, I, I think, and Jesus never sinned, right? I think he just kind of throws it out there and just kind of lets them fidget. There's a need. This is what's happening. They've been with me. They've been following me just like you guys are following me. They're hungry. If they go home, they're going to faint on the way. They're going to be sick. They're going to be exhausted, all these things. And so we have a problem. And then he doesn't offer any solution. And I think maybe the Lord, God's done that in my life where he'll show me a need and I'll see the need. And it was so obvious. I mean, these guys couldn't deny that there was a need. There's 4,000 plus people there who were hungry. So, you know, them acknowledging the need wouldn't, wouldn't have been brilliant at all. It was obvious. But I think he just kind of leaves them hanging there. So just let them kind of wrestle with, wow, what are we going to do about it? What am I going to do? What can be done? He's, 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 in the most holy, reverent way, he's baiting them. Showing them the need, not making a suggestion about how to, how to uh, solve the problem. Apparently, he saw the need before they did, or maybe they saw it, but just kind of were shielding their eyes and didn't want to deal with it. He shares his concern. He explains it. His concern was for their well-being. He explained very clearly what was going to happen if the need wasn't met. So he's laying it all out there very clearly. And then he doesn't come up with a solution. He just lets it hang there. Jesus didn't rush to fix the situation. He let them feel the challenge. He let them feel a little bit of frustration. I think he wanted to draw them out of their pragmatism. When a person is pragmatic, you may or may not know that word or use that word very often. I think it's a great word. When a a person is pragmatic, they look at everything about how can I solve the problem? What's the, the, the human logical solution to solving this problem? And as they're thinking about it, If they're so pragmatically minded and not spiritually minded, they'll look at something and they may come to the conclusion like, there's nothing that can be done. It's impossible. But if they're only pragmatic, and I'm not bashing pragmatism at all. Pragmatism is, is a great thing. It's just common sense and maybe even beyond common sense. But some people only function on common sense and they forget to factor out the fact that God is, is almighty and can do anything that he wants and, and anything that needs to be done. And so I think Jesus here is going to draw them out of their pragmatic thinking. And he's going to bring them in to spiritual awareness. And I'm kind of making a point about this because I think the point needs to be made. And I'm, I'm kind of scanning the room to see if I can find the right words. They're usually up there somewhere. Why do we always look at the ceiling? I don't know, maybe because we're praying. Guys, God, God, I think the Lord is okay to leave you frustrated with a situation and have you exhaust all your pragmatic ideas and then you'll start remembering, oh, I guess I should be praying. I remember when I was on staff at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, uh, I was the college and career pastor. We had a huge college group, but any, anybody would have a huge college group if the church had 10,000 people at it, so... One night, uh, all the power went out, and I was new on the job, and uh, so, you know, here we are worshiping, and the lights go off, and everything, the instruments are quiet, except the acoustic guitar, and it's like, oh, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, and I'm running around, I'm looking for the janitor, where are we going to find the, where's the power panel, I'm just like a chicken with my head cut off, just running around, you know, and I finally come back, and, I don't know what we're going to do, and the one, one gal, Stephanie Powers, she comes, she goes, Pastor Bill, maybe we should pray. 
I'm a loser. Oh, yeah, that. And I'll make fun of myself, but you guys laugh because it's true about you too. We'll go through our list of pragmatic solutions. And if we don't come up with a pragmatic solution, then we'll just say, well, it just can't be done. And I think Jesus is letting them struggle with it. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Letting them work through it. So he can draw them into the spiritual solution that he wants to bring. So Jesus, notice guys, he'll do this with us too, won't he? Hey, here's a problem. This is what's going to happen if this problem doesn't get, there's a need here. If this, if this need doesn't get met, these are the things that are going to happen. Okay, Bill, I just wanted to point that out to you. And then I'll get busy on what I'm going to do. The disciples, look at verse 4, I believe. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? That was their pragmatic response. It was, notice, it wasn't positive, it was just negative. Well, we, they started giving reasons why we can't get it done. There's, a, there's always reasons why we can't get it done. But there was a way that Jesus was going to get it done, and he wanted them to co-labor with him as he got it done. So, uh, just, you know, when we give a response uh, like the disciples gave to Jesus, uh, you're not being particularly helpful. Anybody can say why it can't happen. They were thinking pragmatically and not spiritually. They were not factoring in the fact that Jesus had previously fed 5,000 people in a very similar situation, not very far from where they were. How do you forget Jesus feeding 5,000 people not very long ago, not very far from here? But they had forgotten it. They were so entrenched in being logical men. You know, I don't need any instructions. I'll just do this thing. I hate, how many guys here hate reading instructions when you're putting something together? Yes. But I've learned to save them. (laughs) I usually circle back around again. These guys had forgotten. They had forgotten that Jesus had just done this. And they're telling him why it can't be done. Now there's also something that's kind of interesting. A a commentator named Kenneth Wiest uh, made this comment. The word satisfy there, it means to fatten up animals or, or to satisfy people. But the primary meaning of the word is to fatten up animals, um, fatten them up for the kill, basically. And so maybe this was a little bit of a frustrated sarcasm. <clears throat> then the disciples answered Jesus, verse 4, how can we fatten up those people? They're just Gentile dogs. There may have been tucked in there. We don't know, but there may have been tucked in there some frustrated sarcasm, which happens with us, right? How can I ever help that person? Uh, they're homeless. How could I ever help them? I don't know anything about that. And, or they're this or that. I've never been there. How can I help that drug user? I've never done any drugs. How can I? Why don't you slow down a minute and pray and see if God wants to use you? And we get frustrated and we get sarcastic and we have all these reasons why... God could never use us or why it's just not going to work. It's somebody else's problem, that kind of thing. Guys, you know, sometimes the Lord points out problems to us and it's not for us to solve or even get our hands dirty. It's just so that we'll pray. So I'm not saying every time the Lord shows you a problem, you have to go be the solution. I'm not saying that. But if the Lord shows you a problem, at least pray to see if you're part of the solution. And maybe you're part of the solution by praying for the person that's going to get their hands dirty. So I'm not saying we have to rush out and fix every problem. We do have to respond in faith and, a, and in a spiritual manner, at least pray and think about it. See if you're the person or if there's another person that God wants to use. 
Now, a guy named Jim Lovell, who was a NASA astronaut, he was with the Gemini program and the Apollo program, he has this saying. This isn't a biblical saying, and it's a secular quote, but it makes a, it makes a point, and then I kind of went off of it. He said this, there are people who make things happen, there are people who watch things happen, and there are people who wonder what happened. To be successful, you need to be a person who makes things happen. Now, I've, I've Christianized that, okay? Because none of us, in regards to things eternal, can make anything happen. It's always God making things happen, but he, he works his work in us and through us. So this is my Christianized version of what Jim Lovell said within Christendom. Number one, there are people who see the need, pray for the solution, receive direction, and then step out in faith. May I suggest... Those are the kinds of people that we want to be. Those are the kinds of people we ought to be. Secondly, there are people who see the need, analyze the situation with only human perspective, get discouraged, give up, and they watch others step out in faith. And then thirdly, there are people that don't even see the need because they're too self-focused. You know, there have been people in our church that have been radically sick, or going through very deep uh, trials, familial trials, marital problems, all these kinds of things, they're, they're up to their eyeballs with heartache and heartbreak and difficulties and all these things, and they still have the ability to look outside themselves. And that's really, really beautiful. They're struggling, the struggle is real, the struggle is deep and hard, but they are such godly people that they are still able to look beyond themselves and still help other people as they are able. And then there's other Christians sometimes that, are, you know, relatively speaking, life is not that difficult, but all they can do is see themselves. And guys, it's just, it's not the ways of Jesus, is it? It's not the way of Christ. We always end the service with, with a song and some prayers and maybe today you just need to say, God, I'm just like, I have every room in my house has mirrors in it. I just look at myself all the time. I'm just so, I was supposed to be a joke, obviously it wasn't funny, but I'm so self-focused, Lord. I'm so self-focused. If I asked you today, is there anybody here, and just don't answer this in your own heart, is there anybody here that right now as you think about it, you're not con- really concerned about any particular person at all? Is there anybody here that you're not really thinking about currently and regularly in your mind about somebody that has a physical need that you're hoping somehow God will bring a solution and maybe use you? Is there anybody here, a Christian among us, where you're, you're just, you don't have a burden for an unsaved person? Guys, if you're a Christian, how could you not have a burden for an unsaved person? How could you not? It's inconsistent with the Christian life. Did Jesus just die on a cross to save you and make you happy? He wants to use you to reach those people. He wants to use you to help pay for that tire for that single mom. That tire's going to blow out and that van's going to be stuck somewhere. He wants to use you. And if you're not thinking about those things, I have to ask you, you have to ask yourself, why not? And at the end of the service, maybe you just need to sit there and listen to the music and say, God, I'm sorry. It's been all about me. I go through that. We all go through that. I'm not, I'm not preaching as one who never struggles with that. I do. But it's not okay. It's not okay for me. It's not okay for us, is it? Amen? It's not okay. It's not okay. And God needs to change our hearts on those things. 
be those people who see the need, pray for a solution, receive direction, and step out in faith. And maybe stepping out in faith is just to pray, and maybe stepping out in faith is to write something on a prayer card so somebody else can be praying about it, so the person that is supposed to be hands-on will get their hands on it. Maybe that's it. But I don't think God shows us stuff, guys, just so we can say, oh, well, I can't do anything. It's not his ways. It's not his ways. And then it all kind of backtracks and it all kind of boils down to because he loved people. He loved the sinners that were there. They were Gentile dogs. They were all manner of anything. And he didn't discriminate against anybody. So let's, let's come down the home stretch here. If you have any questions, I can try to answer them if you want to text them in. So Jesus met the need, and as he did it, he trained his disciples. The disciples once again receive on-the-job training in serving God and experiencing God. They experience the love and compassion of Jesus for people. They experience Jesus' patience with them, because they had forgotten already about the 5,000 who had been fed. So they're, they're spiritually dull again. They're so pragmatically minded that they're spiritually dull. They got to be in very close proximity to the miraculous power of God, and the disciples learned that God can do a lot with a little, and actually God can do a lot with nothing. But one of the things we might be able to say is, I don't know what to do. I, and I, I've, I've never struggled with this, and I don't know how to help with that, and, and so on and so forth. I don't know that I have anything to offer to the situation. Look here at your notes. Um, verse 5 here. Jesus decided to meet this great need with what the disciples had, even though it wasn't much. It was enough once Jesus miraculously converted. Some of the Old Testament stories that we remember. God used Moses' rod as an instrument to conquer Pharaoh, king of Egypt. When we read about the ministry of Moses and bringing the children of Israel out, God said, Moses, stretch out your rod. He didn't say, stretch out your lightsaber or, or your you know, 50 caliber cannon or something. Just stretch out, stretch out a stick. Moses, I can use your stick. Some of us, that's all we got is maybe just a stick. But God can use a stick. God used Moses' rod. God used Gideon's army of 300 to defeat an army of 135,000. You may be saying, I'm only, I'm, it seems like I'm the only person that cares or notices. I don't know if just one person is enough. One person is enough. You can do something. Don't disqualify yourself. David defeated Goliath with a stone and a sling. God doesn't ask us to, to, to help people, to serve him, and to bless people with what we don't have. He just says, what do you have? Are you good at baking? Praise the Lord. <laughs> do you use really good gluten-free flour? Double praise the Lord. Use what you have. Are you good at doing watercolors? Sit down with that mom while she's, you know, figuring out with AAA if she's covered for that tire and do some watercolors with the kids in the car. Use what you have. What do you have? We've been studying these spiritual gifts on Wednesday night. All of us have something we can use that we can bring. All of us is qualified. Look at the notes here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Your sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. point that I want to make is this. Even the apostle Paul said, it's not us, it's God. It's not us. I love this quote from Warren Wiersbe. Ministry takes place when divine resources, this is what happened here, isn't it? Isn't this the perfect example of the Warren Wiersbe quote? Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. We often don't have what is needed to meet the need, but God has what is needed to meet the need, but he wants to use us, followers. They pushed past their pragmatism and their lack of resources, and they saw the miracle and the results. The need was met by God, but through the hands of his disciples. Now, I have some four words there in bold print. Can you say it with me? His power, your hands. Can we change it? Can we say his power, my hands? His power, my hands. Say it. His power, my hands. That's how it goes. It's his power and my hands. My mouth, my feet. It's his power, but it's my hands. And then Jesus met the need. Some summary thoughts. A little self-examination. Do you see needs around you? If yes, pray for direction. If not, if you don't see needs around you, then there's a need with you (laughs) to be able to see needs around you. Pray for spiritual awareness. If you see needs and are directed to respond, don't be held back by what you don't have. Finally, remember Jesus sees all around us and he has compassion. Jesus cares. I'll admit to you, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, sometimes I don't want to get involved because I think, oh man, that seems like a bottomless pit. If I get involved with that, oh, there'll be no end to it. You know, I will be financially, uh, my, my pockets will be emptied out, my emotions will be emptied out, I don't have the time for it, all of these things. I... Some, some needs, some situations seem so enormous, don't they? And I, I, sometimes I'm just like, you know. But you know what? If I see the need, I need to respond in faith. God's, God's not going to ask me to do more than he wants to do through me. And, and what did Jesus say anyway? If I want to follow him, I have to lose what? I have to lose, I have to lose my life. My house will never be outwardly. My wife keeps a wonderful house inside. But outside, my, my yard will never be done. It'll never be done. Never. Did I mention the word never? It'll never be done. Because about the time I finish it, I have to start over again. There's no end to the things that we could say keep us from serving the Lord. We have, to lose, we have to lose some of ourselves if we're going to be those disciples. And, and, and the 4,000 people, who got to see the miracle more than anybody? The disciples. The disciples. Do we have any questions?
What do you do with someone who made poor choices? I'm going to put the guitar on. Laura and uh, Matt, can you come up? What do you do with someone who made poor choices? You help them, but they continue on their poor choices. I just throw them under the bus. Move on to somebody that deserves it. You guys know I'm being facetious, don't you? I don't know. You pray. It's fluid. Ministry is a moving target. Serving God's a moving target. Sometimes we might help too much. Sometimes we might not help enough. But Jesus was okay letting the disciples be frustrated about finding the solution. And I think he's probably okay with letting you be frustrated too so that you'll seek him. So I don't know. But number one, is your heart full of compassion? Number two, when he shows you what you ought to do, will you have faith and step out in it? And if you do those two things, it's a no-lose situation for you. The Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. The person's still struggling, they're still making some bad choices, but you did well. Guys, we serve the Lord Christ, amen? We serve the Lord. We're not, we're not problem solvers and people reformers. We're servants of Jesus Christ, the most high God. And so we respond to what he says, and sometimes the results are with the people and the Lord, and maybe we're planting seeds that aren't going to come up for a long time. There's no guarantees. Guys, we, servants are not to be, the servants of God are not to be results-oriented servants. Sometimes the Lord will tell us to do something, and we don't even know why. Peter, go down to the water and, and fish and catch a fish and pull two coins out of its mouth. Who thinks of that stuff? You know what I'm saying? We just do what the Lord says. Our, my part, your part, is to have a heart of compassion and to have faith and obey the Lord and leave the results with him. It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question.